Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm joined by my handsome and allergy-suffering today husband, (laughs) Dewey Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my beautiful wife, and hello to all you great all you cat fans in the big, great big cat world, and I apologize. My allergies are really severe today, so I will probably have a little bit of slurring, sneezing, snuffingness. Slurring? Through. Are you drinking in there? <laughs> <laughs> kind of seems like it or feels like it anyway. Snurring, you mean? Yeah, so how about starting us off with a bonding tip of the week? Oh, yes. We are now leading all of our podcasts with the Bonding Tip of the Week, which is sponsored by Vitacraft. They're the ones that make the lick and lap you hear me talk about so often because I've never found a treat that so many cats universally love. And this week's Bonding Tip is give your cat a treat at the end of Prey Play. So last week's bonding tip talked about the importance of prey play. And this week, I want to add a little bonding tip to that about giving your cat a treat periodically during a prey play session right after he catches and bites the toy. That kill bite is so important because it delivers that serotonin boost to the brain, but it doesn't quite complete that predatory hunting sequence because in the wild the cat would actually go ahead and eat what it just killed. So that treat actually helps to complete that hunting sequence and also acts as a positive reinforcer for the cat engaging in prey play. So that's your bonding tip of the week. Go bond with your kitty with some prey play and give them a little treat once they deliver that kill bite. (laughs) That's a good, very good tip. And we do that often. And I really didn't know that until you taught me what that, meant and i guess it does you know significantly change you know what they're trying to do it's one thing to pray play with them but it's another thing to actually let them catch it and bite it and tear it up and all that kind of thing so yeah and then get the treat and then get the treat yes i I learned that myself but i want to start our episode off by reading what janine sent to us Mm -hmm. she asks the question or questions can feral kittens be adoptable? How to how do strays and ferals differ? Are strays usually cats that had homes previously? And how do those become feral? These are excellent questions. And when I received her email, I, I really thought I'd just type out a reply. But then as I got to thinking about all the things I needed to say to her, I thought, you know, I, I think there's enough material here to fill a podcast. So hence... Feral versus stray. Are these cats stray or feral? That's a it's a very good question. And when I read it myself, I thought, wow, I don't think I could even decipher the difference. Uh, you know, I didn't know. But <clears throat> so let's dive in and take our first question. Can feral kittens be adoptable? And the answer to that is 
maybe, usually, sometimes, <laughs> but usually. So kittens have a sensitive development window between three and seven weeks. At eight weeks, that starts to close. And at 12 weeks, it becomes a lot more difficult to socialize them. So basically what that sensitive development window means is if the cat or the kitten doesn't have any human contact during that three to seven week period of their lives, then they're going to be fearful of humans, more fearful, and they'll be more difficult to socialize. You still have an opportunity between the seven and 12 week range, but it's going to be even more difficult. And then after 12 weeks, it's a lot more difficult. And sometimes we find that even kittens in the same litter respond differently. I spent a lot of time at the Santa Fe Humane Society um, socializing kittens of feral generations of cats. And there was this one particular litter, they were right about eight, nine weeks old. So they were at the edge of that potential socialization. And there were four of them, all boys, and three of them, we were able to get to respond to our our socialization methods, but one little guy had one little glimmer one day that he might, might make it. But then next time I went in to work with him, he was just totally not having any of it at all. And in the end, he just, just could not be socialized. So we returned him, neutered him and returned him to the colony that he was, uh, was pulled from. And the other three went on to adoptions. So what makes that different? Why do some kittens respond different than others? Well, first of all, there can be different fathers in the same litter of kittens. So the mom may have mated with multiple males and there will be different fathers. Now, a kitten inherits genes primarily from the father. So, I, you know, they could have different fathers. There could be different levels of socialization in their genetic history going on. So I guess the bottom line is it depends is the best answer. But usually with lots of good behavior modification that doesn't flood the kitten, by the way, and by that I mean, you know, sometimes we swaddle the kitten and we give it something really wonderful, like that's why I like to use the lick and lap for this in particular. Give the kitten the lick and lap and it's going, oh, wow, man, that stuff's awesome. Okay, maybe these people aren't so bad. So we're pairing the scary stimulus, which is us people, with something wonderful, which is the lick and lap. But if you have a kitten that's not enjoying the lick and lap and completely terrified, then that swaddling and that whole process becomes what we call flooding. And, and that doesn't work. But if we do it right with good positive reinforcement, then we can actually change that kitten's mind about people and they can turn out to be great social cats. That's, that's great. I didn't realize that majority of the genes come from the father. That was, that was interesting. And, mm -hmm. you know, 12 weeks, um, interesting. So this is a good question that I'd like to hear the answer to also is how do strays and ferals differ? Well, okay, this is this is opinion, not fact here, but I really, really dislike the word feral. 
In fact, in shelter settings, it's one of the first things I have to do is is try to retrain everyone from using that word. I call it the F word in the shelters <laughs> because as a behavior person, the word feral doesn't really tell me anything. You know, I I teach people to tell me what's going on with a of its level of stress and the level of stress is based on what right and so someone may say this cat's a cs6 uh, so there is a thing called a cat star back in 97 i think that is a really good baseline for gauging how stressed your cat is and it goes by five points on the head and five on the body. And then I add that to it, activity and reactivity to people in a kennel setting. And that's how we do a stress score. So if somebody tells me, you know, a cat is a CSS six, then I know that cat is hissing and growling and actively striking at people versus feral. Now, you know, that cat may not be feral. That cat may have been an owned cat that lived inside someone's home that's just super stressed out in the shelter. So cats without homes are called stray, or right now the more politically correct term is community cats. We call, we call cats that don't have homes. Homeless cats are called community cats. And then there are some cats that have homes but they're indoor-outdoor cats, and they get mistaken as strays or community cats. And some community cats have several places that they eat that they call home. You know, they're not in a monogamous home relationship, if you will. You know, they, they eat around. <laughs> and then some cats are supported by what's called a community feeder, it's someone that feeds a, a colony of community cats. And in this situation, there's enough of a reliable food source, you know, that the cats do tend to congregate in larger groups, but that's not natural to cat instincts. They're really more of a, a solitary species, but the colony will grow to the size of the food that it's getting and that it'll support and the size amount of resources. And when newcomers come in, they're usually chased off by the cats. So to answer that question, bottom line is stray refers to a cat without a home and feral typically refers to a cat without a home who has not been socialized to humans and who is acting out in defensive aggression. Did that help? <laughs> you know, it does, but you know, it's hard to tell them if you see them on the street or you see them, you know, in, in some alleyway or something, is that a feral or is that a stray? And I guess you would know that just by trying to go up to them. I mean, I, how would you really determine the difference? But well, you, you wouldn't, you, and you wouldn't, and you wouldn't know maybe that cat has a home and it's just, walking down the yeah. alley like it always does. You don't know that it's a community cat or an indoor-outdoor cat. And then in both situations, community cats and owned cats, cats who have homes, either full-time indoors or indoor-outdoors, there is a sliding scale of stress that those cats have, whether they're homed or homeless. So you can't tell when you see it on the, on the street. Okay, so let's move on to 
I was curious when you said this, but why are you so against people using the F word? <laughs> well, because it, it tends to label the cat and pigeonhole it into a category of no return. You know, some cats are just so stressed in a shelter environment that they act feral, but they really aren't. Now, that's not to say that I'm an advocate of holding on to cats and taming feral cats. I'm not. I mean, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I think that cats are very resilient and can just and live fine outside, you know. But in order for us in a shelter setting to create a behavior modification plan, we have to know a little more than just that cat's feral, you know. I have to know how does the cat respond to you extending your hand towards it? Will the cat eat treats in front of you? Can you touch that cat with a, we like to use these back scratchers. That way they're on little telescoping poles and you know, I can not get my hand bit off if I put the back scratcher up and I scratch the side of its face or under its chin. I can tell, does it like it? Has it ever been touched there before? So I need to know so many things before we can make a, a routing decision for a cat. Is, is a cat truly a community cat with very little human, you know, social interaction? And should it be simply returned to its community? Or is this potentially someone's cat that's just scared being here in the shelter? So by using the F word, it doesn't tell me anything. By using the cat's stress level and describing what people are seeing in body language tells me a lot. That's just like uh, some of the other words that are off limits to label cats with me are that cat's mean or that cat's angry. All right. Well, that, those just aren't things that cats are. All right. That cat is stressed. That cat's extremely afraid. Those are things that they fear. But mean, angry, feral, I don't like those words. So that's my little F word soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we could expand on that a lot more, but let's move on. <laughs> you said you could tame feral kittens as long as they're under 12 weeks. So is that to say you can't tame a feral cat over 12 weeks? Well, tame is another one of those words, and I'm really splitting hairs today, but tame is another one of those words that... That's a I, lot I, of work, splitting hairs. Right, <laughs> splitting cat hairs today. <laughs> But I shouldn't use the word tame. Socialize is more accurate, all right? So a cat who has not had human contact in its whole life and who is an offspring of cats who have not had human contact are better labeled unsocialized. So rather than taming them, we might be socializing them. Like, you know, you, you remember, think about it like, Planet of the Apes. Remember the movie Planet of the Apes? And imagine you having yeah, to... Yeah, one of my favorite movies. Right? So imagine, you know, you've been captured and now you're on this planet with a bunch of apes in a setting where you've never seen apes before and you've got to learn to trust them and their authority, right? It's, that's going to be difficult. And, you know, I'm not saying that it's impossible. There are plenty of people out there who have successfully socialized feral adult cats. Now, whether those cats were truly 
homeless their whole lives, never had human contact during their social sensitive development period, and, you know, really don't have any human experience whatsoever, whether that was those cats or whether it was cats that were owned by people and then became homeless, you know, or kittens of a owned cat. There's some differences in there, but it is very difficult to truly completely socialize a feral adult cat who has never had human interaction its entire life. Okay, so are you saying it's better to just let them continue living outside without trying to socialize them then? Is that a better way? Yes, I am, and for many reasons. Um, and, and first, let me just say, I, I totally get that romantic notion of taking a homeless cat off the streets and teaching it to trust you and you know, even having it become grateful for you saving it. But in reality... There are thousands of cats dying in shelters every day who need a home. So why not go get one of those? That cat that's living on the streets, he's doing just fine without your intervention. Assuming, of course, he's healthy. Now, if you see one that's injured or, you know, really not healthy, then, you know, absolutely intervene and get that that cat help. But Otherwise, if that cat's perfectly healthy and living outdoors, what makes us think that it needs us so bad? And I think it might be the other way. I think, you know, maybe some of these people feel they need to be that hero or heroine of getting that cat off the streets and having it, you know, be eternally indebted for saving it. You know, that seems kind of harsh, really, when you think about it. I know Isn't it does. Life on the streets hard <laughs> for them, though. I mean, that that just seems harsh. But maybe we're just kind of letting our own personality jump into that. Yeah, but you know, life on the streets certainly can can be harsh. But you would be amazed at how resilient the cat species is. I always say, long after humans are gone from the face of this earth, there's going to be cockroaches and cats left. <laughs> You know, they multiply so quickly, hence the need for spay and neuter, by the way. And they're great hunters and they're capable of feeding themselves. I mean, you know, they they do just fine out there by themselves. And I got to add that about 38 percent of people get their cats from the outside, by the way. You know, they do those polls like, OK, are you a cat owner? Well, where'd you get your cat? Did you adopt it off the street, you know, or did you? get it from a rescue or a shelter or that kind of thing. And 38% say they adopt their cats from the outside. You know, cat wanders up, person takes it in, that kind of thing. And those are probably the more social cats who, you know, belong to several people within a few block area. And, uh, and uh, you know, yeah, it's great for those cats who get to sleep in a warm bed. Sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we think they all should be doing, you know, kind of like when we drive down the street to see homeless people. We think they all should be sleeping in a warm place somewhere, but the reality is, is they're not. And right. So then we got to make that determination, like you're saying, is it a stray or is it feral or, you know, what can we do with it to kind of better that situation? And, you know, we don't want it to wind up in a shelter. We don't want to wind up up into that euthanasia bucket and you know we don't want those things so we got to try to figure out what's the best way for them and this is really good information so you're sounding like you think cats should live outside well of course they shouldn't live outdoors i mean in a perfect world every cat 
would have a responsible owner and be sleeping in a warm bed and live to be about 20 years old, you know, but that's far from reality in our current society. And the reality is we have more cats living on the streets than there are cats in homes right now. And there's no way we could get them all indoors. They're just there just simply aren't enough homes, you know, and the situation will continue to get worse if they're going to be allowed to continue to multiply on the streets. So spaying and neutering community cats is one of the most important things that a community can band together and do. And that's what stops the suffering. An outdoor cat, you know, lives to be maybe eight years old, whereas an indoor cat's going to probably live to be 20 these days. And outside, there's so many other threats. You know, they they don't live as long because they get diseases, hit by cars, of course, predators, people who, you know, don't like having stray cats around. You know, there's just so many threats to them outside. So, you know, do I think cats should live outdoors? Absolutely not. I think it'd be lovely for every cat to have a home. Is that realistic right now? No, it's not right now, but we can all work together, you know, to make that a realistic thing by spaying and neutering. So how would a community, if they were looking at this or trying to figure out how to do this, how would a community go about spaying and neutering the cats in their neighborhoods? Well, um, that's a good question. And what you should do is get on Google and search uh, cat spay and neuter resources in your city. And there's typically groups out there who are doing this work. You know, they'll go into a neighborhood and get an approximate count of the cats from sightings from the neighbors. They'll set up traps and when they catch the cats, they'll take them in and sedate them and give them a vet exam and spay and neuter them and vaccinate them. Sometimes they're even microchipped for um, for vaccination tracking purposes and whatnot. And they'll ear tip them. And what that means is they'll actually cut the tip off of the cat's left ear so that everybody has a visual identifier of which cats have been fixed. And these are for animal control officers can look and say, no, that cat is ear tipped. He's been fixed. So we don't need to bring him into the shelter and the people, the community people that are trapping and, uh, and doing that work um, can also say, okay, no, we've already gotten that one. Let's let him out of the trap and set the trap for somebody who hasn't yet been spayed and neutered. And there's all kinds of, you know, the, it, if, if you're a gung-ho person, you can borrow traps from these organizations and uh, and monitor the traps and have appointments set up to go get them spayed and neutered and and things like that. So it's uh, it's great. Jump in there and help. And you don't worry about them freezing to death outside in the wintertime? Well, you're not going to leave them in the trap for long periods of time, but, you know, cats are resilient. We... You know, we, we don't, I hear all the time, oh, I had to, I had to rescue this cat, even though it's, you know, never had human contact because it was getting cold. And I think, you know, if that temperature, especially in the South where most of the people we reach are, you know, it is probably not going to kill that cat because if that were the case, then one harsh winter would wipe out the entire community cat population. And there would be no outdoor cats in places like Michigan, right? They are a very hardy 
resilient species. But, you know, like I said, you can help. You can get these cats off the streets. You can stop this, you know, multiplying and overpopulation of community cats. You know, you can borrow a trap, like I said, or buy a trap. Just Google have a heart cat trap. You can get them from feed stores, you know, tractor supply and those places. And put really great stinky wet cat food in there and watch the cat, the trap closely. You'll want to cover it with a towel. And, um, and then when the trap is, is set and the cat is caught in there, then you notice it, then you've got to get that cat to the spay and neuter, um, you know, clinic pretty quickly, of course, or keep feeding it, put it in your garage and, and keep feeding it. And you'll want to transport it in your car, of course, with cardboard under it or a plastic trap because it's really common for cats to pee and poop you know out of fear along that ride but uh, and you don't want to have a bad experience there but and typically you pick it up the next day and then you just return it back to where you caught it just open the trap and let it go and be sure to get that on video because it's just awesome it is so wonderful to be letting these cats back out into their area where they're comfortable and um, now that they're vaccinated and spayed and neutered and they're no longer multiplying and it makes excellent TikTok and social media um, content to be watching those cats run, you know, and there just really aren't enough people helping in this monumental challenge of getting them all spayed and neutered so that they don't continue to multiply and suffer on the streets. You know, there are some guesstimates out there that maybe we only have like 2% of the U.S. population of homeless cats actually fixed. So if you want to help, that's how, how you help. You know, you can't, you can't possibly adopt enough cats to get them to make a dent in what's on the streets. And the other thing that we found is when you pull cats out of a colony, that colony is just going to resize itself. You know, think of it like a, a koi pond, you know, the, the, the fish will only grow to as big as the pond is. Well, the 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 colony will only grow to as big as the resources that support it. So if you remove cats from the colony, more cats are just going to come in. So we really don't want to remove them. We just want to fix them so they're not multiplying and let them live the rest of their lives in the way they've been living them. So that's the way to get involved and that's the way to make a difference because you can't adopt 100 cats. That's just not quality of life, even if it is indoors. Yeah, no, that would be terrible and not advisable in any level. And I guess you've answered her question, though. Are strays usually cats that have had homes previously? Well, um, sort of, but not really. They don't, they don't have to be. Some community or stray cats had homes and the owners let them out either because they believe cats, you know, should have the freedom to roam. They were born free. They should live free. And, you know, sometimes they let them out because the cat's doing some behavior indoors that that owner has deemed unacceptable, you know, like tearing up the furniture or not using the litter box. And the owner gets fed up and lets the cat out thinking that that ability to roam free is going to stop the behavior. And does it really do that? Um, sometimes, yes, but that's mostly because the cat is more entertained outdoors and has an environment that's more natural to the species. You know, the owner, 
if, if for instance, the cat's tearing up the furniture, the owner is probably not providing that, that outlet to reduce stress that the cat needs to behave in acceptable way indoors, you know, not enough prey play, not enough simulating that predatory hunting sequence. So the cat gets outside and actually gets to do that. Then yeah, it comes in and it's tired and it's less stressed and it's, you know, it's probably not going to tear up the furniture as much, but there are better ways to fix that indoors other than just letting your cat outdoors and encounter all the threats that the outside has to, has to offer. So, you know, but, and not all cats who are allowed to go outside become quote feral or unsocialized is a better way to put that. You know, it's true if you never let your cat back in and you live in a rural area where the cat's out, out roaming with no human contact, especially if that cat has been neglected or abused in the past, it's very likely going to develop unsocialized qualities. But a previously socialized cat will not typically become truly, quote, feral. So, you know, I've often heard you talk about, you know, trying to keep cats indoors, but I know that you do have things like barn cat programs and stuff like that where, you know, they do have a place to get in out of the weather and they're, but they're outside cats and they set up little houses and things like that. I think we did that in Dallas one time and talked about that, um, mm -hmm. where there's little warm houses for them. But you, you do sometimes promote letting those cats back out on the streets and do what they do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were just talking about, you know, an, an should an owner with a cat let it out i guess and and does that does that make it a, a feral cat because it's been let out and at what point does it become feral you know when we get cats in the shelter who are unsocial and not welcoming human contact and acting aggressive out of defense def defensive action so like you reach for the cat and it growls and hisses and swats or lunges and tries to bite um if through our behavior modification methods, we are not able to get that cat socialized where it is at least tolerating our presence without injuring us, then the best way for that cat to have a live exit in a shelter setting is to perhaps get a working cat job where it can go be rodent control or barn patrol or that sort of thing. Sometimes um, firehouses often have cats um, a lot of offices will have cats where the cat can just wander around and be by itself and doesn't have to interact with people if it doesn't want to. And if they're rodents and it can be rodent control, that's awesome for everybody too. So yeah, I truly believe that um, working cat solutions are good solutions for cats who are unsocialized and don't appreciate human interaction. Just let them be the personality they are in as safe of a setting as we can provide for them. And where should those cats send their resumes for those jobs? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah there was those places, uh, you know, like the uh, headhunter places, if you uh, have a cat, which I probably do something like that, where if you have, uh, you know, extra cats or something and there's, you know, much needed areas where there's, 
you know, there's lots of barns and lots of mm -hmm. rodents and things like that where they need outdoor cat programs. Uh, you know, it'd be good for those people to think about trying to connect more, but I'm sure they are. I'm just not aware of them. But yeah, and that's you know, and that's true. There, it, your shelters, either your local shelters or one of the gr rescue groups in your city, will probably have what's called a barn cat or a working cat program. They call them different things, but you know, barn cat was the traditional thing. I have a barn and lots of rodents because we're storing the the horse food and grain and things in there, and we get a cat, and the cat keeps the rodent population down. And um, and that's great. But there are also some other urban solutions for for cats like that working situations. Any kind of warehouse is a great one. You got a warehouse or storage facility. Um, there was a cat living in an Amazon warehouse that people took home and have contacted me for a behavior consultation. And, um, you know, that would be a, an, an excellent place for one breweries, wineries, any kind of shop where there aren't a lot of people in and out where the cat's got room to just be what it wants to be and not be forced into human interaction. Those are great, great homes to provide for some of these cats. And trust me, your local shelter will have some cats that are not acting in a socialized manner that they would love to find one of those placements for. So if you have a business like that and you can share a little space and and a and a little cat food. Then get a get a working cat. Reach out to your shelter and ask them. I know most of the shelters I work with have, you know, applications on the website for working cats, and you just fill out this application that says, you know, how many cats do you want, and do you want them to maybe become friendly, or you really don't want a cat that's you know going to be socialized at all. And what's the setting look like and, and that sort of thing. And then they'll match you up with the cat that best fits your needs. So that's a really good thing to do. That's great. We certainly wish every cat a long, happy, healthy life, sleeping indoors in a warm bed for sure. Yes, but, absolutely. You know, there, are, there are places for cats that don't and can't fit in that world. And so I'm glad we brought that up a little bit. So, well, I would like to thank Janine for emailing with these questions. They were very good, and I think I learned a little bit about that. I never thought about trying to determine the difference between the two, but that makes sense. If any of you listening have questions you'd like to have answered about cats mm -hmm. uh, or topics you want to hear about, just email them to Molly at cattalkradio.com, and she will go to work on trying to get something done. Absolutely, we will. And I also want to invite everybody to help support the work we do because we provide this podcast and lots of other resources for free. I work many behavior cases for free for low-income cat parents, and I do just about anything I can do to keep cats out of shelters. That's what Cat Behavior Solutions is all about. We're what's called a shelter diversion nonprofit. So if you also care about cats and probably can't adopt 150 more of them, <laughs> but you want to do something to help cat population, consider sending us a gratuity donation and, can, and including us in your nonprofit donations. And it's really easy. You just go to the Behavior Boutique store on catbehaviorsolutions.org. And once you're in the store, scroll down 
to the bottom past all the products and there are different donation amounts you can just add to your cart and simply check out with your credit card. Oh, well, wait a minute. Well, you can go ahead and pick up a few of those toys that are out there that you yes. while they're there. Absolutely. Although, you know, you can proceed to support the nonprofit by just checking out. But, you know, we'd like for you to peruse through some of those toys and see yeah, if because your cat just can't live without. Absolutely. Because all of those proceeds from the toys also goes to support cat behavior. Your solutions. There are no salaries supported after out of Cat Behavior Solutions. So yeah, we're all, a non- we all over. work nonprofit here, right? That's right. Yeah. My husband, you know, he's he's working for dinner probably or or other things. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but all of our wonderful volunteers um, help out, and uh, nobody, including myself, are getting compensated out of Cat Behavior Solutions. We do this for a passion for felines. So if you also have a passion for felines, jump in and and join our cause. Yeah, and be sure and like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram also. This is all volunteer-based, as she mentioned a minute ago. It's a volunteer-based podcast, volunteer-based, all that other stuff she talked about. So to help, you can take better care of your cat. I mean, that's what we want to do is try to help you figure out ways to better take care of the cat, because oftentimes it has some of those uh, issues that Molly can help fix, and that's better for everyone. And we want to increase the bond between you and your cat, and we're going to keep doing it as long as shelter euthanasia is the number one one cause of death in cats. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in with us today. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Goodbye, everybody. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat, toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.